Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're continuing in our series called Stand Strong. Recently, a, a new documentary came out on, on Mr. Rogers. I know, I know it's one of those staples that I grew up with, and they're back on like the different things that you can stream online. You can, you can find different things there. So, I mean, raise of hands, like, who, who watched Mr. Rogers growing up? All right. All right. Who didn't watch Mr. Rogers growing up but have watched like the reruns afterwards? Uh, it's, it's, it's most people, one, one or the other. Uh, it, it's been fascinating. I've been, I've been following different articles about this document. It's not like I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan. It's just interesting. Uh, but I've been following some of the articles, some of the tweets that have been coming out about Mr. Rogers, and, and it's pretty striking. I don't know if you know this. Fun fact, every sweater he wore, his mother knitted for him. That was a lot of sweaters. That, that woman could, could knit. But, uh, but anyways, so there's just all sorts of interesting facts. His mother knitted all of his sweaters. Apparently, he, he was also this ordained Presbyterian minister as well. And when they interviewed his family and, and those who knew him, I think this is the most amazing thing. Apparently... Mr. Rogers was just as good and kind and gentle and loving off-screen as he was on-screen. In fact, when his children were describing him, they described him almost as like a second Christ figure. And I, and I know that one Sunday my kids will be asked about me. They will not ever make that comparison. But he, he was just a really good guy. And part of the documentary talks about his last few days on earth where he is having a conversation with his wife, and he turned to her and he asked her the question, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? What he is doing is he is making a reference to the book of Matthew chapter 25. In the book of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story about the day of judgment when Jesus will separate the sheep, those who are his own, those who are his followers, and he will separate them from the goats, the wicked, those who are condemned to eternal punishment. And so Mr. Rogers was asking this very basic question, am I going to be the one who's able to be with the Savior for eternity? And it led me to ask this question, a serious question, that if Mr. Rogers can be uncertain about his own goodness as he neared death, what hope do we have? In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul is discussing this same judgment that Jesus is referencing in Matthew chapter 25, the end of time, uh, when God will separate those who opposed him for condemnation to eternal destruction, and he will separate them from those who belong to God who will be granted relief and comfort, and Christ will be glorified in them. And that passage actually leads us to the two verses that we're going to discuss this morning. So look at Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. To this end, this end is talking about and making reference to all this talk of, of eternal judgment. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling 
and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we get to come and worship you, the risen Lord, the risen Savior who, who trampled over death. Father, help us to hear your word. Help our hearts and our minds to be open to your spirit. May, may it show us our sin. May it warn us against danger. May it encourage us to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Father, I pray for other churches in our area who are also uh, at this moment worshiping you. We pray for Kyle Black and Watershed and Copper's Cove. Be with that young church as they proclaim your name over in Coriel County. Father, we pray for the Maxell Cowboy Church just down the road on 195, a church that preaches your word. We pray that you encourage their pastor, that you encourage their people just through worship and the word this morning. And Father, I pray for us as we discuss this passage about our eternal destination. Father, help us to see clearly where we stand with you. Father, if, if we are in Christ, if we are with you, or if we are your children, may you give us hope and confidence. But Father, if, if we would be partitioned away with the goats, if we are opposing you, Father, we pray for your calling on our lives to come follow you, to believe in you, to repent of our sin and, and put our faith and hope in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever there is a discussion about the day of judgment, I think most people tend to ask the normal question, where, where do I stand? Will I get to go to heaven or will I, will I be condemned to eternal punishment in hell? Will I, will I be safe? And I think many people, when they think about that question, they, the way they, they determine how they're going to end up is they ask the question, well, am I a good person? And most people in our world today, I really do think they think that they're a good person. But when we do that, when we just say, well, I'm a good person, so I'll probably go to heaven. When we do that, I just want to ask the question, who, who are we comparing ourselves against? I know if, if I was going to compare myself against somebody, I would not look for somebody better than me, right? I would, I would look for somebody who, who's around me, who's near me, that I was actually thinking I was better than them. And so that when I go to the day of judgment, I can say, God, I was better than my neighbor, and so since I was better than my neighbor, maybe I should get in. And so most, of us, most people in the world today think along those terms. But what if, what if we change the standard? What if the standard for getting into heaven wasn't measured against someone who's worse than us, but what if it's measured against somebody who's better than us? What if, what, if, what if the standard were someone like Mr. Rogers, someone like Mother Teresa, someone who's dedicated their life to serving others and lived selflessly, I think we'd have much less confidence. But the Bible teaches that we will not be compared against those who are worse than us. 
And the Bible also teaches that we will not be compared to other people who are better than us. But the Bible sets a much more impossible standard. The Bible teaches us that when it comes to our eternal destination, we will not be compared against anyone else except God himself. And when we are thinking about those scales of justice, well, my better, do I have more good in my life? Do I have more bad in my life? Where do I stand? That's not it. But on one side is the holy, perfect God versus us. And every time we are weighed and measured against God, we will find ourselves wanting. But that is the good news about Jesus Christ, isn't it? We have this belief that God, seeing our great need, seeing our our eternal destruction, made a way for us to know him. So God sent his own son, Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he has made available something to us. And what he's made available to us is his own righteousness. That since Christ himself never sinned, since Christ himself always did what was right in the Father's eyes on that day of judgment, when you have those scales of balance and God is on one side and we have to be equal with God, we would always fail. But when we have faith in Jesus and we have trust in Jesus, Jesus is put on that scale. And what we find is that Jesus is completely worthy. So when God looks at us, he does not see our accounts of how we have failed and how we have sinned, but rather God sees Jesus' account. He sees his perfect righteousness. And it is through Jesus and his perfect righteousness that we can enter heaven. So I think that does still lead us to the next obvious question. How can we know that we have Jesus? How can we have confidence that we belong to him? All of us have faced doubt at one time or another. So I think what Paul is doing in the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verses 11 and 12 is he is offering a prayer. He's offering a prayer of confidence to the church in Thessalonica, saying, this is my prayer for you. And his prayer is there in order they might have confidence in the day of judgment. So he has given us in this text two pieces of evidence that we can look at in our lives to find out if we have confidence on the day of judgment. That first piece of evidence we have is the evidence of a life made worthy. It says this in verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. He is praying that we would be made worthy of God's calling on our lives. So let's, let's take a moment and, and, and figure out what this means. What does calling mean? What does it mean to be made worthy of a calling? The calling he is referring to is the calling into the kingdom of God. That before Jesus, we lived by our own selfish desires. Whatever we desired, we pursued, and, and we lived a life apart from God, ignorant or in rebellion against his laws. But when he calls us, He calls us out of that darkness. He calls us into his light. So we are pursuing Jesus. That's the calling he's referring to. 
It's a calling to be sons and daughters of God adopted into his family. So he is saying, I want God to make you worthy of that calling. So what does it mean to be worthy of that calling to be a Christ follower? I think that the larger chapter gives us some hints. Look back in verse 4 and 5. What does it mean to be worthy of this calling to be sons and daughters of God? Verse 4, it says this, For we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all of your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So Paul here is saying that one of the ways we are made worthy of our calling, one of the ways that we are made worthy of following Jesus is through remaining steadfast through trials and troubles and and, and difficult times. My question is this, when you face troubles in your life, when you face trials in your life, when you face losses in your life, when you face disappointments in your life, what, what do you do? Do you, do you become bitter at God? Do you become angry at God? Do your, do your troubles and your trials distance you from God? Or do your troubles and your losses and your disappointments and what you're going to, does it draw you nearer to God? Because you realize that He is your only hope. That's what this passage is referring to, that when we remain steadfast in trials, it is evidence that we are truly his. Whenever I was, I think I was in high school, maybe early college, I I would just accept any book that was given to me. Someone's like, I got a library. I'm like, I'll I'll take it. Uh, I I love just getting my hands on my books, which meant I had a lot of books that I had never read that were in my library. Been trying to take care of that. Um, But one of the books I found was just a treasure, it was called The Persecutor. It was written by a Russian named Sergei Kordakov. And Sergei Kordakov was in a communist youth party. He was essentially orphaned, uh, was raised by the government, and they trained and raised him to be a leader, but also, I mean, to be honest, to, to be a brute. He led a group of men whose entire job was to track down Christians to break up their worship services, to beat them near to death, collect their literature, and burn it. And he tells this story of, of, of his attitude and his anger towards Christians until he started realizing and recognizing the same person in every service. He went to one service, he, he broke it up, he, he beat this young girl nearly to death, and the very next week, when they went to find another service to break up, he found her again, and he beat her again. And this happened time and time again until finally he began to ask a question like, what is it in this person that keeps bringing her back? And because of her steadfastness through trials, he, he finally, instead of burning some of the literature, began to read the Gospel of Luke. And as a result of her steadfastness, her her loving and sticking with God through trials, it was evidence to him of the genuineness of her faith, of the hope that she had. 
When you face trials, does it draw you to God or does it push you away from God? I I do want to make this clarification. I think being steadfast doesn't always mean that you're confident. Let me say that again. Being steadfast in your faith doesn't mean that you're confident and does not mean that you have it all together. I think being steadfast means oftentimes that you are broken, you're at your wit's end, you have nowhere else to turn, you're frazzled, but you're holding on to God anyways because he is all that you have to hold on to. I know this probably describes probably all of us, right? You've got kids at home, you're trying to parent them, it seems like everything's a fight. Everything's a battle. You're at work, and it just seems like you hit roadblock after roadblock. You're looking at your finances, wondering how in the world you're going to pay rent or your mortgage next month. And you're looking at everything around you, and it seems to be falling down. If, if that's you, you're probably not going to feel like you have it all together. You're probably not going to feel wonderfully confident in your faith. But steadfastness means that in those times, you still hold on to God because you know that God is holding on to you. The book of Jude in verse 24 and 25 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. It says to him who is able to keep you. One of the songs that I've been enjoying lately is by Keith and Kristen Getty and it's called He Will Hold Me Fast. This is what the lyrics say. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. In the chorus, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Even though you might not have confidence where you are right now, have confidence in this, that he will hold you fast. Because of his great love for you, he will not let you go. And believing that and holding on to that truth is evidence that you belong to him. I think the other thing that what it means to be made worthy of Jesus is that it means that we are transformed to look more and more like Christ. We are transformed to look more and more like Christ. Look at what it says in verse 3 of chapter 1. We ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love for every one of you and for one another, is increasing. Why does Paul have confidence in their faith? Because they are being made worthy of their calling, not only through remaining steadfast, but also 
because their love for one another is abounding, that as they live out their life, there is a slow yet steady transformation to look more and more like Jesus. If we have a true faith in Jesus, then we will have fruit or evidence of our faith in our life. So, so right now, in my backyard, I, I have a plum tree. You know how I know it's a plum tree? Not because it's ever given me a plum. I think it's a plum tree because my dad gave it to me as a gift and said, hey, son, here's a plum tree. And I'm sure when he bought it, it had a little sticker on it that said, it's a plum tree. But that tree, even though it's been in the ground for like three years, it's big, it's got leaves all over it, has yet to ever give me a plum. So it's either not a plum tree or it's a dud of a plum tree. I'll believe it's fully a plum tree when one summer I can go out there and I can see this round, purple, juicy fruit and I can pick it and pop it in my mouth and just feel the explosion of a fresh piece of fruit. We know a tree by its fruit. I know that my tomato plants are tomato plants because they give me tomatoes. I know that my the best thing I can grow is jalapenos because they grow anywhere in Texas. But, but it's one of those things like I know it's a jalapeno plant because it gives me jalapenos. We can have faith and believe that we are, are secure in Christ because we see this progressive growth in the image of Jesus. Now, we do have this difficulty when we look at this passage. Because if you look at verse 11, it says this. It says that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Who's the primary actor there? The primary actor in verse 11 is God. That God would make you worthy of his calling. So we have to ask this question, is as we are living this Christian life, as we are pursuing Jesus we, we, we have, we have this, this tension. It is God who saves us. It is God who transforms us. It is God who enables us. But yet, on some level, we have a role to play. This is saying what it means in the book of Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to work and to will his good pleasure. Did you notice the tension there? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you. Both are true. Salvation is of God and through God only, and he is transforming you to look in the image of Christ. But it's our job to act on what he has given us, to pursue goodness to pursue holiness we have we have this ministry at our church called celebrate recovery i I highly encourage you to attend it's on monday nights it's every monday night of the year and one of the things that they do is if you're in if you're in this ministry one of the steps that you take in this ministry is you have to write essentially a spiritual inventory And when we consider that we need to be transformed to the image of Christ, I think one of the things that we need to do to to confirm our calling and to make it sure is we need to do that same spiritual inventory. We need to look at our lives 
And we need to ask the question, how in my life right now am I sinning against God? If you ever get to a point in your life and you say, I think I'm good. Be wary about that. Because I would even say that the closer you get to God, the more the imperfections you should see in your life. Because the closer you get to God, the more of his holiness you understand, the more of your sinfulness you understand. So we need to make the spiritual inventory in your life. So if you were to do that this afternoon or this evening or, or sometime when you have two seconds to yourself, you're to say, all right, I'm going to make myself a spiritual inventory. And you are to write a literal list down and ask the question, how have I sinned against God? What would be on that list? If you were to ask the question, how have I sinned against other people in my life? What would be on that list? Brothers and sisters, I encourage you to do this because in doing so, it will show us our sin. But we also, once again, have the confidence that Christ has covered that sin. And we can, we can try to, to repent and leave that sin behind to follow on after Christ. Doing this will give us confidence that we truly belong to God that he is working in our life, that he is real in our life. We have this evidence that we have a life made worthy by God. I think the second piece of evidence that we have is the evidence of good works. This is also in verse 11, the second half of verse 11. And may he fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. If we want to have confidence as we approach that day of judgment, one of the things that give us confidence is that we have a resolve to do good. Now, I think that word resolve, if you're reading in the ESV, I think it's a little bit confusing. Because oftentimes when we think of resolved, we, we think of like setting our face, being determined, being committed to something, seeing it through to the end. And we think of, of resolve as uh, this, this hard dedication but that's not what this word means here. This word, when it's translated in other places, is translated goodwill. It's translated as, as desire. So what Paul is praying for, so that they might have confidence on the day of judgment, he is praying, I hope you have a desire to do good. I hope you have a, a, a longing to do good works. That, that's what he is praying for here. He's praying that we would have a change of desire. When we look at resolve that way, we're like, oh yeah, I have all types of resolve. I have all types of desires. I have all types of, 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 of longings. I, I'm resolved to eat a bowl of ice cream every night after my kids go to bed. Amen. You know, I'm, it's my good will and pleasure to do so, right? I want to do that. And as we look at our lives, we can probably nail down the different resolves or the desires we have in this life. You know what one of the big ones is today? We have, we have a resolve, a desire to, to travel. I, I didn't realize how big traveling was. It, it's, it's kind of ironic. So global outreach is what we call missions here at Grace Bible Church. Um, so I'm 
I'm the global outreach pastor. I'm the missions pastor. You know what? I hate to travel. I don't do it. I just really despise it. I would much rather stay home than, than leave, period. <laughs> much less like have to get a passport and get on a plane. But so I, I, it's hard for me to relate to the idea of like a longing to travel. I'm a boring person. But that's a huge desire today to, to, to travel, to experience the world. You can, apparently I saw on Facebook the other day, you can even get these world maps. Have you seen these? It's like a world map that's like a scratch-off lotto ticket where you can kind of scratch off the places you've gone to, and it's a different color. And you can see how many places you can scratch off all over the world. We want to travel. It's a desire we have. And when we have a desire, when we have a resolve like that, you know what we do? We reorder our life accordingly. We reorder our life accordingly. We change our schedules. We start putting money away. We start doing research because it is our goodwill to do so. It's our resolve to do so. What Paul is praying for here, he is saying, I am praying for you that you would have this same type of resolve to do good work for the kingdom of God. That you would reorder your schedule, that you would start investing, that you would start thinking about, that you would start researching, that you would start reading about how you can do good. I have a good example of this of somebody in our church body right now. I'm going to totally embarrass her, but uh, Angie Keasley is, is, is a member of our church body, and it's, what is it? It's July now. Goodness, it's July now, and she's taken two weeks of vacation off of work already. One week of vacation, she dedicated it uh, to go on a mission trip. And there's a mission trip where you're basically holding babies and playing with our other people's kids. The second week of vacation she took was to drive kids around town to go to different Bible clubs and, and to hang out with a bunch of junior high boys. Whew. God bless you, junior high boys. You're awesome. But it's, that's what she dedicated her, li- her, her vacation to up to this point. She reordered her life because she had a resolve a desire to do good. Book of Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So my question for you is, are you resolved to do good? And this doesn't mean you have to start a new project. When we're talking good works, sometimes that means you look at what's already in your life and you dedicate that to God already. The example of, of, of children. children. Children are awesome. They're hard, but they're awesome. And there's two ways of looking at parenting. One of the ways you can look at parenting is you can say, I just got to get through so I can have some me time, right? I just have to get to the end of the day so that, so that I can do something for myself because you're always giving, you're always giving. And that can turn it into a long-term trajectory that's not just I'm looking to the end of the day, I'm looking to where I can launch them off so my life can be about me again. I get parenting is hard. 
and I get that my wife takes a bigger brunt of it than I do. But one of the things I've been encouraged about my wife and what she does is she has taken this idea and concept of parenting and she is saying, how can I dedicate this to God? How can I, I raise my kids and how can we raise our kids in a way that will bring glory to God, to teach them who God is and what God's about? Sometimes doing good doesn't mean you're going off to start a nonprofit, doesn't mean that you're starting a big project. Sometimes doing good means taking what God has already given you and looking at it through a different light. The job you have right now, whether it be parenting, whether it be in the army, whether it be as a teacher, whatever your job is, God has given you that job. Sometimes doing good and having resolved to do good is to look what God has given you and say, I am going to give glory to God through what he has given me. Brothers and sisters, I think when we do this, it's evidence that God is at work in us. And then we can look to the future when Christ comes again and there's this judgment that is coming that we can have confidence in Jesus and what Jesus is doing in our lives because we've reordered our life according to his will, because we're remaining steadfast, because we're looking more and more like him. Let us stand and pray. Father, I pray that as we wrap this sermon up, that you would help us to have confidence if we are in Christ. Help us to have conversations with one another. Help us to to have resolve to do good with one another. Help this to just be a conversation among us about what God is doing in our lives and in our community. Because, Lord, we... We want our light to shine, that you'll be glorified. And we know, Lord, that, that when you are glorified in our work here, we know it's evidence that one day we will be glorified in Christ on the day of judgment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.